from the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs, this is the Locked On Chiefs Podcast. Welcome back to Locked On Chiefs, and it's a a three-man, all-hands-on-deck episode. Uh, We have a lot to talk about. The quarterback, the cornerback, uh, maybe a safety or something in there in between. An inside uh, linebacker. No, that guy, right? I always forget him. Hey, but we're we're all back. Make sure you are checking out Seth's work on the athletic, Chris's work at Chiefs Digest, my work at RGR Football. We are all putting out content for you pretty much, you know, 24-7. So now just before we get into today's show, I want to give you guys a little bit of update. Players not practicing, unfortunately, were really not much of a surprise. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, still out. Alan Bailey, still out. Um, Steven Nelson, still out. Nelson and uh, LDT with uh, the concussion protocol. No update beyond that. Uh, pretty pretty dark and murky on that one, pretty much. Um, beyond that, did get Sharkhandrick West back to practice. See if he can uh, resume that fight for his roster spot. We'll see what happens with that. And probably the biggest concern is still Eric Berry, out with soreness. Andy Urich was very specific that... Whatever they do, they don't want to stake. Ah. Andy Reid was very specific in terms of Eric Berry. They do not want to take a step backwards. So they're being overly cautious. I think that's a good thing. We will find out as it goes along what's going to go on. He's not going to play this week uh, in game three of the preseason. Not a big deal for Eric Berry. Uh, who is going to play is Hitchens and Ragland. The duo is supposedly looking like they're going to play as of uh, Tuesday's practice. So we'll have more uh, as the week goes on, and we'll see how they get ready for this game three of the preseason. Uh, appreciate you guys checking all that, and welcome back, fellas. Woo! That hey. kid can throw. <laughs> yeah, the ball traveled far. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Ben Neiman threw the ball. What are, I, I'm, I'm, mis, I'm. You must confused. have missed it. I, this is this is locked on Ben Neiman, <laughs> where we occasionally talk about the rest of the Chiefs too. <laughs> For all of you Iowa fans, um, we're here to serve. <sighs> yes. Hey, you know what? Neiman looked good again. Like he didn't look as good. Like I noticed he got on the field a lot sooner, mm-hmm. and so he didn't pop near as much. But he did make some good plays. And, I mean, the interception, that was kind of a right place, right time. He, uh, as Ryan said earlier, as Ryan said earlier, that was a gift. It wasn't him making a play. But you know what? He looked more hey, athletic looked, on the run back than I he thought he good. Would. Yeah. He former wide receiver. Oh, I didn't know that. Which explains why, yeah, he played which is, explains why he can uh, play or he can catch the ball better than the last 56 the Chiefs had. Oh, no running down oh. Derek Johnson on this show. Uh-uh. Yeah, what what the <laughs> Um, but but I mean, Neiman aside, that Mahomes throw, I showed my wife. That's that's how you know it's a good play where I'm like, you got to see this. Baby, and I showed it to her and she went, "Wow." Like she her mind was blown and she could not possibly care less. She couldn't. She Mine could try. Just me off. I did the same thing. I even put it on the big screen. I was like, you'll just like this because it's a good play. She's like, eh, he sure is wearing red. I couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that I, – I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if I've ever seen a throw like that in a game. And I thought, well, that can't be true. And then you see, you know, the stats well, come out. Well, you remember a few months ago no when one... he kind of smirked on, on GABF and was like, um, I, I'm pretty sure I could throw it 85 yards. I don't doubt him anymore. Yeah, because it's not like he had his feet completely set there. Yeah. Well, and that ball was a duck. 
that wasn't a pretty that wasn't a pretty throw. No, it didn't have the spiral on it. Maybe maybe Hill wouldn't have had to slow down if he'd had the spiral on it. But I mean, that was just that was absurd. And the the fun thing for me was uh making a video clip showing the coverage cuz you know initially they were bracketing Hill they were terrified of him but when he got like 60 yards down the field you saw the defenders like well okay this is stupid we're not all three going to follow him that far <laughs> <laughs> Run, like, bro. yeah they thought he was out of the play i mean that was just that was absurd i you know no one did it last year like no one it's yeah it's it's crazy and i think you know, I, I think it it emphasized that particular play. Emphasized what what you had highlighted in terms of his yes. footwork, and and actually, you should explore on that first. Right. So I obviously wrote about that play the the night of. It got published the next day um, on the Athletic. Chris is what it is. Um, okay. <laughs> and which, so, if you guys are looking for a subscription to the Athletic, you need to go to uh, theathletic.com and slash locked on NFL. Yes, thank you for adding that. I had some people ask about that. So um, I, I noticed a couple things with that play. And the first thing, uh, we chatted about last week how Mahomes took a sack that was really a lot more on him than the offensive line because he took these giant steps forward into the pocket away from edge pressure. Uh, when you look at that play and you watch his feet, he's taking short, controlled steps. And I, I just like... You know, Andy Reid always talks about how he never makes the same mistake twice. I would be willing to bet you that we won't see Mahomes stare down a wide receiver on the sideline the, the same way we did on that pick to Watkins. Because you just look at the difference in how he moved in the pocket with shorter steps, a little more controlled. And it really does look like, because it was kind of similar pressure right off the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as well, quick. It was crazy. It was crazy to me because I looked at that play, and as soon as I saw him let the ball go, I'm like, that's a pick. Yeah. <laughs> be I, a know why. I mean, he just threw the ball up. There, there was way too much height for as quickly as he got rid of the ball. Which one? The pick. Yes. Oh, sure. No, we're talking about the good play right now, Chris. Oh well, you were talking about the pick a second ago. I don't remember that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. Uh, Boy, that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah, you can't prove it, unfortunately. Although wait, oh, wait, wait, hey, uh, but yeah, but uh, Ryan can do some fantastic editing, like we found out last week. Yes, I know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, what's up, buddy? That was amazing, by the way. <laughs> Um, but it was, it's a cool thing to watch Mahomes do something like that, uh, seemingly learning from a mistake. And, and then of course there's the fact, and I wrote about this in the same article, big plays can make or break you in the NFL. Um, most teams in a league with so much parody, most games really fall down to a handful of snaps. Now, not all of them, but a lot of them. And turnovers and big plays, that's the whole, like, it's called toxic differential. If you want to look it up, there's a whole thing on there. But uh, the reality is if you make big plays, you are much more likely to win football games. And it just does something. You know what I mean? Like, it changed the entire narrative of the game, right? Yeah. As it always does, right? Mm-hmm. That's all. It- because you can you can be stuck in the mire for quarter after quarter. And you're playing a tight game, and you break something loose like that. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, 
your struggle is now even, or maybe you, you know, maybe you go from four down to three up and you, and you're, well, you're in the lead that changes a ball game. Yep. Well, it changes the game for the chiefs and granted we're watching the second and third and fourth team play in the second half, but they were down 14 to three at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make that throw. They're down two scores going into the second half. When you could see a difference in the energy level, I mean, it's just those plays are backbreakers like for the opponent, and they, they energize you. Football, as much as we try to quantify everything, and I think we should try to quantify everything, football is a mental sport. You know, emotion matters. It just, when you're sprinting or when you're engaged in basically physical combat with someone, emotion matters. And so you see that. And then here's the other thing. Everyone loves the idea of like a 15-play drive for a touchdown. And I I love that too. If you're going to win a game, if you can execute a bunch of 15-play drives for touchdowns, you are going to win games. However, every offensive play you run is an opportunity for the other team, right? For for a turnover, for a sack, for a big play. So if if you can get a big play, you are taking away risk of any bad plays for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, you get ahead in the count, head-to-head, right? Right. Yards per play is an excellent predictor for offensive success and and wins even. If you look at yards per play on offense and on defense, I mean, it's like clockwork. The best teams aren't the ones with the most yards. They're the ones with the most yards per play, generally speaking. Well, and honestly, I think if I looked at my stats last week, because I I track differential on those two stats, and it's not just – do you have the most yards per play, but what's your differential versus what your defense gives up? Absolutely. And that is an even better predictor. Yes. And that's, and so there's nothing like, you know, messing with the other team's yards per play and messing with your yards per play than a 70 yard touchdown. (laughs) (laughs) And so it, it was just a really cool thing to see. And, you know, Hey, it is fun to watch a bunch of people that cover the league wide, you know, react like, Holy crap. So that was fun, too. Well, I had a good time. I think we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we have some things to talk about on the other side of the ball. Now, we're back. And, folks, make sure you check out Locked On NFL because they have a whole new lineup with a bunch of guests, Mike Sando and Mike Renner and, I don't know, all kinds of mics. But, anyway, check out Matt Williamson. He's, he's running the Locked On NFL show. <laughs> and we're going to get him on, or we're going to go on there. I don't know which yet because we got to talk about what's going on, both with Tyreek but also on this defense because – the Chiefs are in a position where they've just made a signing, and we're going to talk about him later. Um, but we're going to take a short segment here in the middle today, and I want to talk about options and really priority because I want to know what you guys think about the safety position. Um, there was uh, George, and I always mess up his name. I, I always say it Iloka. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't care. Um, he, was, he was released in, yeah. in what was spe- specified as a cost-cutting measure. Because they, they drafted Jesse Bates, and I understand that he's playing well, and that's great. But Loka can play deep. He can play um, exactly how Bob Sutton wants to play. In being interchangeable, he can play, come down in the box when he has to, but he can play deep as well. Um, and I haven't asked either of you directly, but just point blank, yes or no, Seth first, do you go after him if you're Fred Veach? Chris? Yeah. Yes. And I would take it a step further than that. I would offer him a two- or three-year deal. Wow. Do you agree with that, Seth? Yeah, I mean, it probably increases your chances of landing him. He's only 28. Mm-hmm. I don't see the harm. I I do it because... You know, Daniel Sorensen... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. After you, my friend. 
I was just going to say, I, I just don't see Sorensen as a free safety. Uh, Armani Watts is a little slower to progress than it seems like we were hoping for, at least in what I've seen. He did make a good play in the preseason game, but he's been playing with third and fourth stringers. That does not speak well for his development this year for them. Uh, and if you can get a starter like Ioka that will come in and uh, play at a decent salary for two years, um, to me it's worth it, especially considering the question mark that you have at the other safety position right now. Yeah, it's a thin position. I say you go for it. I mean, the the thing they need to ask themselves is do they think they can contend this year? And if they do... I you, you can't waste time having glaring weak spots. They were, in my opinion, way too inactive in the safety market in the first go around, and I think that cost them in a in a year where it seems so simple to get safety depth, you know. And this reliance on Sorensen, who you know, regardless of what you think of him as a player, I mean, he's hurt now, and that type of injury. I know they're saying, oh, you know, he might be back after the first couple weeks. I'm nervous about that. No. And so I just, I think you look at this roster as it's assembled, you watch Chris Jones wrecking guys. I think he's about to have a year. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me to leave a glaring hole on your roster. Now you got to do some stuff, uh, salary cap wise to make it work. But I think that's still very doable. I agree, and there's a little bit of juggling that it has to be done, but, you know, it, it can be done is the point. It's whether they see it as the priority or not. And I'm a little bit concerned that this staff uh, may have an influence on Veach. I don't think Brett Veach is in a, in a position to disagree strenuously with Coach Reed. And, and if Reed and Sutton feel that they're okay with the young guys, I think that may be what the team is stuck with. Well, yeah, I could see that. I'd say that's certainly possible, but at the same time, if you're Andy Reid and you really think that uh, Leon McQuay is going to be your guy, um, I have an issue with that. I I really can't see Leon McQuay being the guy. I, I didn't think he was in the right places most of the time. I thought he was late reacting. And granted, he's got to play to get experience. But um, to me, the upgrade, and, and this goes specifically back to our talk on corner uh, from yesterday, you know, you look at what they're doing with Skandrick. To me, the upgrade from Ioka to or from McQuay and Murray to Ioka is huge, and well worth the upgrade. I don't think Skandrick's an upgrade over a large upgrade over what they have depth wise. Yeah, I think you can be right. See, I don't know. I'm only a few. I'm I'm a little ways into uh, Skandrick's film, and his film from last mm-hmm. year is definitely better than Amerson's film from last year. And I wouldn't even oh. call I wouldn't even call it all that close. Oh wow! Um, now to be well, fair, Amerson's we are approaching great. that time. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, what? Let's. <clears throat> Amerson's film from last year was kind of a disaster. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just I don't know if I I don't know Ooh. if I agree that he's not much of an upgrade. He I think he might be better than Amerson. Wow. Okay. We we need to finish on what they need to do here. I, how hard do you go after uh, George? Well, I'm just going to say George from now on. Nice. Um, Smart. And is it worth me departing with somebody like 
I know they don't want to get rid of Demetrius Harris, despite all my proclamations all offseason. So yeah. they got to do some wrangling if they want to try to accomplish that, right? Yeah, they seem to really want to hang on to uh, the the common guys people mention are Harris and Sorensen. And they seem like they like him. Well, when you look at Sorensen would make the most sense to me, even though he's injured. Uh, that contract just doesn't seem to fit what I think he's capable of. But obviously the team thinks maybe he is. But I think what Ryan said on yesterday's show is also something that's very important that he may not play this year. Um, you hate yeah. looking at it that way, but with that type of injury, it's possible he doesn't. I know they're more optimistic than that, but. Right. Yeah, the, this, this staff, I mean, they do a lot of things very well, but they're always very optimistic about injuries. And so that yep. it's tough to take much away from that. Okay, so I think we all agree. If they could do a contract of maybe two years, maybe three years, uh, in order to do what they – we've seen them do in the past where they just kind of bottom line it, uh, very cheap base salary in year one, uh, and try to move past that as the years go on, I think that's really what they have to be looking at at trying to shore up that safety, right? I would see it that way, yeah. I mean, there's just not a ton of room to work with, and – you would have to move on from someone or find a way to move a little money around. But safeties, I'm way more concerned about safety than I am corner. I think if they, I think if they did something more like what they did with Rebus last year, I think it would work well. Hmm. Low, low first, first year kind of deal and, you know, have avoidable second year. Well, hopefully what we've seen with the safety market, I mean, and the contract that Trey Boston had to sign for a guy that I think could have done this job too. Right. Um, hopefully that's a good sign that it's it's a possibility. But um, I think we'll take a break right here, folks. We are going to come back. We're going to talk about Orlando Skandrick, what it means for the secondary, what it means for this team, and what this defense can do. So I know I can tell things from Seth's Twitter timeline and gifts and such that uh, there's a Skandrick story coming, huh? Yes. Um, taking a look at his film, I figured, you know, corner worries me a little bit. I'm okay with Steven Nelson fuller every week. I mean, we can see, I think Fuller's going to be a real good one. I mean, he looked sharp against Atlanta and I'm excited, but anyway, uh, Amerson, I don't know. I think he's getting scapegoated a little bit, but I also think that he's not looking as good in games as he did in training camp. And that's concerning. So I personally, so I, I went, you know, I'm I'm looking at some of his games. He looks quicker than Amerson. He looks like he's better at jumping routes than Amerson, at least in terms of like closing on them to contest and, and, and close off passing lanes. He just looks better than Amerson, at least Amerson's film from last year. Um, I would put the film that I'm seeing with Skandrick on what I saw from Amerson in 2016, Hmm. where he's kind of average, you know, sure. I think that's that's significant, though. So I, yes, average would be good. And then plus, like the way I see it with Skandrick, it's kind of the same analysis with Breland, except I think Breland's a superior player. The whole grab a couple guys that you think can be decent corners or average corners, and one of them ought to pan out. You know, throwing enough mud at the wall to see what sticks, as it were. Do you think that from what you've seen to this point, because um, I know, Chris, you're of the opinion that Skandrick's the number four. He will come in when needed, right? That's my original thought process, but it's possible that it, that's going to change. 
And Seth, I'm guessing you would disagree at this point that he is better than Amerson. I, you know, his film from last year looks better. Now, I mean, it's super concerning. I mean, he's been cut by two teams in, what, the last four months. Right. I mean, so it could be because, I mean, he's, what, 31? Could be that he finally lost that step because he doesn't look very quick in the 2017 film. Long speed is okay. He's actually got some recovery speed, hmm. but his quickness is not exceptional. And so maybe that fell off a cliff. I have no idea. But I just know that what we're seeing so far makes you go, hmm, and so a little extra competition in the room, especially a veteran who seems very savvy in his own assignments, see, doesn't uh, hesitate to uh, to compete when pressing, and really, you know, he's very willing to help and run support. Uh, very, very decent tackler from what I'm seeing. And so I, I don't think it can hurt to at least see because, you know, hopefully you can at least raise the floor a little bit because the floor for Amerson we know is like ab- – abjectly horrible right like that's he's played that bad before whereas skandrick's never been i mean i know pff graded him out as really bad last year he's still a little better than amerson but um i i what i'm seeing so far and again i'm only a few games in i mean maybe you know something changed in these other games but he's not horrible i mean he seems decent enough i'd put him you know about to where where i've seen steven nelson do well, and that's for me the big the big thing. He's not he's not raising the ceiling for this secondary, but I think he is raising the floor, and he's that security blanket. Especially now that Steve Nelson's hurt, um, that protocol right. man. It is so hit or miss on on what each player is going to do to react to the protocol, and we're just not going right. to know we're going to see him again. Right. You know, it might be he might be back next week. He might be back in four weeks. I mean, that's just that's how that goes. Well, let me ask you guys this. With, with Skandrick signed and in the house, how do you feel that affects Arian Springs and Tremont Smith, Chris? Well, I think it pushes both of them down the roster. The question is, is it push one of them off the roster? Uh, to me, if you're keeping four veteran corners, are you going to keep six corners total and keep yes. two young guys? Yes. Well, yeah, I, I like the idea of them keeping the young guys. Springs looks like he can play a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it this way. Right now, tomorrow, if they practice, or as they practice, sorry, um, assuming Nelson's still out, I think Skandrick's going to get some of those reps with the ones just to see where he's at. Maybe he's not quite there. I don't know what kind of shape he's in, but you know, I have no way to know that. But when it comes down, that's fine. When Nelson returns, I have to think at least initially they're going to leave Amerson with the ones, and that trio will be there. And then you have Skandrick with Springs and Smith. And maybe that veteran presence, although I've heard that he's had some attitude problems. We don't want that rubbing off. But but veteran accuracy, uh, veteran reads, being able to spend time with Smith and Springs, uh, you know, right. repping as they watch the ones, I think that's valuable. I think Real there's quick. value in that for sure. Real quick, then, since we're talking about corners, and I know we've been talking about Skandrick a lot, I have to ask Seth the question. Were you surprised not to see anything from Demontre Wade in the game? Yeah, not really. I, You know, I anytime you talk the, the churning in the bottom of the roster, that nothing really surprises me there at that point. I've, I've become cynical over the years. 
There's no, there's no expectation for me. Even if guy, you know, I mean, like, it's kind of cool. Like, you know, you know, Garrick Dater, you know, you start seeing him doing a few things. It's like, Oh, that's great. But I don't expect it at this point. Well, I was just surprised. And Ryan looked it up for yesterday's show. Demontre Wade did not play a single defensive snap. Which does not bode well for him on Friday. No. And as we, as we talk about saving six, I don't, I think he's outside that six at this point, but right. well, I agree. I think he's outside three, the six. Week three will definitely be the determining factor, folks. So make sure that you're reading The Athletic. Make sure that you're checking out Chiefs Digest, where Chris will have content over there, and I may someday when I learn to spell again. Um, my oh, stuff's over at RGR Football. Check those out. So, so maybe by 2030, Ryan will have some writing out there. Exactly. Yeah, you know. I look forward to reading it. As soon as I retire from my day job, I should be able to write perfectly, right? <laughs> oh, okay, so by, tw- so by 2030, because you're almost 65, so... That's what I'm saying. Thanks exactly. for pointing that out. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Folks, that's all we got for today before they call me older than I already am. So thank you for listening. Check out our stuff. And thank you all again for all the new iTunes reviews. Uh, we do appreciate those. And don't forget to give us a call on the Google Voice line. 913-777-4457. Uh, and we will talk to you tomorrow. We out. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Chiefs. Check out my work at RGR Football on YouTube, Chris's work on LockedOnChiefs.com, and all of Seth's film analysis at TheAthletic.com. Thanks for listening.